welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. We're going to continue in our series, our Rethink series, going through 1 Corinthians. So we've been going through 1 Corinthians since the beginning of January, and uh, each week there's a different topic. So we've gone through identity, destiny, influence. Uh, last week we did the Holy Spirit. We've done evangelism, and today we're talking about discipleship, okay? And if, if you're not familiar with the church, if this is your first time in church in a, in a while, discipleship is probably one of those weird churchy words where you're like, what is that? What does that mean? It sounds a little cultish. Uh, what does it mean to be a disciple? Um, so let me just break it down for you. Discipleship actually is not a word in the Bible. Disciple is, and uh, so, and discipleship is kind of just what the, the noun form of, of that verb. And in the Bible, there's also, uh, there aren't categories of disciples. Okay, so it's not like you have a disciple, and you have a disciple maker, and you have this in-between stage. It's either you're a disciple or a follower of Jesus, or you're not. Okay, there aren't, there aren't like, you know, this guy's a better disciple, this, this girl does this as a disciple. No, if, we're, if we believe in Jesus, we're disciples of Jesus, and it just means we learn from Jesus. That's what the verb means. We learn, we grow. Uh, we look at Jesus and we try to model our lives after him. We learn about God. We learn about ourselves. That's all discipleship. So we're going to talk about that today, this, this Sunday, and then we'll do part two next week in chapter three. So I'm going to do the first part of chapter three today. Daniel's going to hit off the, the last part of chapter three over the next two weeks. And discipleship is one of the most important things for a church. Okay, one of the most important things in your faith is learning uh, who God is, and in light of that, who you are. And that's basically what discipleship is. The problem with discipleship, though, is that it requires change. Some of you guys, like, physically cringed when I said that word. Because nobody likes change, right? That's not exactly true. No. I was, uh, there's this leadership guru, his name is Ronald Heifetz, and he says... Have you ever seen someone return a winning, a winning lottery ticket because they're afraid it's going to change their life? <laughs> like, oh, I actually won? No, 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 it's going to change my life too much, so here, you guys can have it back. And so a more accurate statement is, it's not that we don't like change, it's that we don't like change when there's a perceived loss. And for a lot of us in discipleship, there's a perceived loss. Actually, Jesus would say, there's a real loss. It's not, it's not actually perceived. There is a loss. There's a loss that we have to give up something. We've, we've, sang, we've sung out surrendering to Jesus. Adam led us in prayer about it, letting go of, of something. We're, we're, Paul talks about it in terms of dying to yourself. This is discipleship, when you die to yourself. So 
it's not just perceived, it's, it's actually real. And this is discipleship, it's, it's change, but it's change for something better, for something more. It's just difficult for us to see this sometimes. And a lot of us, because of that, you may believe in Jesus, but you're just surviving in your faith. You're not actually thriving in your faith. And that's the point I want, I want you to hear this morning. This is what, we're, what I'm gonna hammer all throughout the sermon this morning, this one statement, that as a disciple of Christ, you're not just meant to survive, you're actually designed to thrive. Okay, and we're gonna talk about what that means. One of the issues is in discipleship is, Adam mentioned this earlier, we're holding on to something and we don't wanna let it go. But a lot of times, the, the very thing we're holding on to is actually the very thing that's holding us back from moving forward. And we just won't let it go. It's, and you guys probably heard this. It's, it's like catching a monkey in the jungle. You have a box or a cage. You put a banana in it. He reaches his hand in there to take it out. But he's made a fist now, and he can't take his fist out of that hole anymore. You guys heard this analogy? or this? I don't know if it's actually true. I just heard, I mean, we've just heard it, right? Um, and he can't take the banana out, but he values the banana so much that he won't just drop it. And he gives up his freedom for a little banana. And that's, that's us. We're holding on to something so much when what's offered to us is this tremendous freedom in Christ Jesus. We have the whole jungle to play with, and all we want to do is eat this banana. And we're just like this monkey in discipleship, and we won't let go. And so as we walk through the passage today, I want to encourage you guys that if you're not just going to survive in your faith as a disciple of Christ, if you're going to thrive in your faith, which is what you're meant to do, you're going to have to release things. You're going to have to let go of things. God's going to have to tear some things down in you, as, as the prophet Jeremiah says, in order to build some things up. Okay, so <clears throat> this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we just, like last week, just talked about the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, he's, he's just given us this tremendous truth. He's, he says, you have the Spirit of God inside you. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, he has given you the Spirit to dwell in you. He says, you can know the thoughts of God. He gives them to you. And he ends that chapter by saying, and guess what, guys? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. And we talked about what that looks like in Philippians chapter 2 last week. But you have the mind of Christ. And then what's funny is he opens up in the very next verse and he says, but brothers and sisters, church, I actually can't address you like that yet. So he's like, built them up, built them up. He's like, you have the mind of Christ, you have the spirit of God. But actually, you're not living like that at all. So in verse 1, he says, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So what I'm going to do here is for the first four verses, I'm going to take you through marks of surviving. And many of us are going to identify with these marks and then I'm going to take you through marks of thriving. And hopefully, we'll start to identify with these marks, because this is what Paul is doing here. 
So let's, let's go with the first mark. This is coming out of the first verse that I just read. A mark of surviving in the faith as a disciple of Jesus, it's not that, listen, it's not that you don't believe in Jesus, it's not that you're not a follower of Jesus, it's that you're just surviving in it. Like sure, you, you believe, but you're just, you're just in the door. I use this analogy all the time. You come over to my house and you just step foot in the door. You're not seeing the rest of the house. You're not seeing the rest of what your faith has to offer. And so the first mark of just surviving is you're not experiencing the Spirit. In, in verse 1 here, Paul says that he cannot address them as people of the Spirit, as spiritual people. He just told us what those people look like. They have the mind of Christ. They know the thoughts of God. God reveals it. God reveals himself to them. He says, but I have to address you as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, he still says they're in Christ, right? So that's, that's clear. They're still in Christ, but they're just, they're just infants in Christ. And Paul is saying here, you're not spiritual people. Like, are you experiencing the Spirit? Are you experiencing the Spirit? That's a question for you to ask yourself this morning. Are you walking with the Spirit? Are you in step with the Spirit? Are you living by the Spirit? This is what, how Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. All those three things, walking, living, in step with the Spirit. Um, Missy and I, many, many years ago, it seems like many years ago, it's because we didn't have kids, we didn't live in Toronto, uh, we went on a vacation to Washington, D.C. with her family. And they had arrived before us, they were at this hotel, and if you've been to D.C., um, you, you know it's, it's huge, but they have, a nice, they have a nice transit system. And so what we did was we parked outside the city, and we took transit all the way in just because parking was going to be horrendous uh, for the hotel. So we transited all the way in, and uh, we went to DuPont Circle, and we're going up. And this was, to tell you how many years ago this was, like, I had a map printed out from MapQuest in my hands. Do you guys know MapQuest? Yeah. <laughs> they don't exist anymore, or do they? I don't know. Um, so I had a, like, on a piece of paper. Do you guys know what paper is? It was like on a piece of paper. Um, we didn't have phones. We didn't have, like, GPS, you know, all that stuff. So I'm holding this. We've got our luggage. And if you've ever been to D.C., you know that they have extremely long escalators going from the subway station all the way up to the street, like really long escalators. So we're, we're on the escalator going up, and I start to see people coming down, and everyone looks like a little disheveled and a little wet. And we're going up, and as we get to the surface, and at DuPont Circle in particular, there's no like, it's not like Sherburne Station where you walk out and there's glass doors and... You, will, you come up and you're at the street. It was pouring torrential rain. It was like a tropical storm. And I've been in a hurricane before, and it was very much like that. Like, wind, wind going sideways, so rain is going sideways. It's just like pelting you in the face. We didn't have umbrellas. Like, when we got into the subway system, it wasn't raining. So we get to the top, and uh, actually, no, we had one umbrella. We had one. But the wind was so bad, like we opened it, it was like, <laughs> like Missy almost lost it. And, and so we're like, 
let's make a run for the hotel. And it was a few hundred meters away, a few blocks. I don't remember exactly the distance. But so we start running. And DuPont Circle is a lot like Queen's Park. So it's, it's not like a little roundabout. It's like a massive roundabout. Okay, so um, we just start running. And, and as we're going to the escalator, I had look, I'd looked at my printout. I'd looked at that and said, <clears throat> I know where we're supposed to go. So we just take off running. We got our luggage. You know, everything's going crazy. We have to shout. It's crazy traffic there, so horns are blaring. Wind is going. We're just going crazy. I'm like, I left her. I was like, <laughs> no, no, it wasn't like that. Um, I carried her. No, I didn't do that either. Oh, so we're, we're running, but we're, it's so loud. We're having to shout to each other. And, and um, all these streets are coming in the circle, right? And so we, we, we go down one. I'm like, this is the way we're supposed to go. And we go down. We're running. And we're running for like flat out for like five minutes straight. And I look around and I realize we're in this like semi-residential area. And I've been following the numbers. But I was like, this doesn't feel right. There's, there aren't hotels around here. And I, that's when it, it hit me that I have the map like, in my hand. And I hadn't looked at it since we got up on the street. And so I look at it, and I realize at that point, we're not just on, <laughs> we're not just on the wrong street, which we were. We, weren't, we, weren't, we were following the wrong numbers. <laughs> so we were actually descending when we should have been ascending. But we were on the wrong street, so it didn't even matter. And we were going actually in the completely opposite direction. Like, if this is a circle, we came out this way, we're supposed to go that way. And so five minutes of running in that direction caused 10 minutes of running back in this direction. It didn't even matter if we ran anymore. We were soaked. Um, and unfortunately, that's how many of us walk with the Spirit. You just walk through life. You go through life. You have the Spirit with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, he says you have the mind of Christ. You have this print out with you the whole time, but you don't consult God until there's nothing else to do. You haven't been walking with him every step of the way. And this, I love how Paul puts this when he says walking in step with the Spirit. It's every step you're experiencing the Spirit. But for many of us, we're so distracted by the wind, by the horns, by uh, the rain, by just people sh shouting, uh, that we forget that God is with us. We forget that we have access to the spirit of the living God and that he's in us and that he's right here. And Paul says here, we have the mind of Christ, but I can't address you like that yet because you're not living like it. You're not actually experiencing what it's like to live in the fullness of God. When Paul says in Galatians 5, walk in step with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, uh, just walk with Him. This is a, an illusion. When you read that, when I read it, it immediately made me think of the Garden of Eden. And what Jesus is doing in us in discipleship is trying to restore something in us. And in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve are just walking with God in the cool of the day. It says God comes and he just, he walks in the cool of the day and, he, and he, he does it with them. And when we have the spirit of God with us, 
that's like the picture we get. And it, also in the Old Testament, um, Enoch is, is a very mysterious figure in the Old Testament. It says, he walked with God, and then he was no more. You're like, wait a second, I don't know if I want to walk, I I want to walk with God. But, but he walked with God, and, and, and he was saved from death. God just took him into, into heaven, took him to be with him. And how amazing is that, that when Paul says, we're to live by the Spirit, experience the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, that this is a taste of the future glorious nature of a perfect relationship with our Father. And we can have that here and we can have that now. Do you guys know what it's like to experience the Spirit like that? Jesus tells us what it should be like. Paul tells us what it should be like. He says, we no longer gratify the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Jesus says, we don't have to be angry anymore. We don't have to worry anymore. You know, what? think about this. What consumes you? What directs you? What, what do you think about the first thing when you wake up in the morning? What's your default uh, mentality? What are your default emotions? Jesus says, the Spirit is so much more than your default. Like God, Paul says that you can experience love and he can produce joy and peace and, and faithfulness and goodness and all these things in you. And, and you don't have to live by the ways of this world. He says at our fingertips we have this. So if you're just surviving, you're not experiencing the spirit. Number two, um, you're stagnant in spiritual disciplines. So think about your spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, prayer, uh, community. Uh, we can throw fasting in there. We can throw silence and solitude in there. We can, we can put uh, evangelism in there, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. These are, these are your spiritual disciplines. So Paul says here in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready. Now, milk isn't a bad thing. So Peter talks about milk in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, and he says, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk because it's going to grow us up in a salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And so it's not, it's not a bad thing. We, we should want we should want this pure spiritual milk as, as Peter talks about it, but we can only survive on it. It's going to grow us up, but we're not going to thrive on this milk. And Paul says here, you weren't ready for the solid food. I wanted to give it to you, but, but you weren't ready for it. I was uh, speaking at Power to Change this past week at U of T um, uh, with, with Archie and Julia and Alexa and, is that everybody? <laughs> there are more than three people there. <laughs> but, um, uh, and it was so great, so a couple great things about it. One, they asked me to, t Archie, uh, they're, they're going through this, this series on the Old Testament on how to read, how to read the Hebrew scriptures. And, and so Archie asked me to speak on the Old Testament uh, law. I'm like, riveting. 
riveting subject. <laughs> Everybody wants to know about that. But actually, uh, I love the Old Testament law because most of us don't understand what the Old Testament law is. And, and uh, it was through understanding the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law, that I learned how to read the scriptures. And so I was giving this to all the students um, on Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday night, and just telling them all about this. And, and like, like I said, it was the key to unlock the scriptures for me. And I hope to give this to you guys someday in a more packaged form like I did like I did that night, because uh, I, I, a, lot of, a lot of what, what in my conversations with them, were, were they were saying, you know, I don't understand the Old Testament. I don't understand how to read it. I don't understand how to interpret it. And that's why they're doing this series. So I, I gave, like, in, I had, like, 25 minutes, and I, I gave, like, everything I could. It was probably like a, a fire hydrant for, those, for, for the students, just so much material, but really I was giving them a new lens for understanding how to read the Bible, the word of life. Um, because just an aside here, we spend a lot of time in the last third of the Bible. For a disciple of Jesus, you, you may spend a lot of time in the last third of the Bible. But if you don't understand the first two-thirds of the scriptures, you're never, ever, ever going to fully understand the last third of the scriptures. It's a lot easier for us to pick up and to understand because it's written in a totally different way with a Greek mindset, and we're accustomed to that. But the first two-thirds of the Bible, and it's two-thirds, it's the whole two-thirds of the Bible, if we, if we don't understand what God's doing there, we, we can't fully understand what he's doing here. Okay, so just want to encourage you guys, if you're stagnant in your spiritual disciplines, it could be because you don't know exactly how to how to handle this text. And, and hopefully as a church, we're discipling you in that. So I was doing this Thursday night, and I gave them so much. And Archie had told me, he said, he, he said you know, you don't have to leave time for questions. Um, don't worry about that. Uh, and, uh, but at the end, I gave so much information. And I was already over time. But I just felt compelled to ask if there were any questions. And a whole bunch of hands shot up, and there's so many questions. And it was so amazing to see this hunger for the Word of God. It was so amazing to see this just, like, if you have kids, you know this. My baby girl, Reagan, who's not a baby anymore, but she's, she's five and she's growing up, she's hungry all the time. Like, we were out with the missions team last night, and we went to Verst down at King and Bathurst, which if you haven't been there, it's pretty awesome. And we're like all eating sausages and stuff. And um, we get home, and Reagan's like, I'm hungry. I was like, we just ate like all this food. She's just always hungry. So if you have kids, you know they're like that. If you're in university, you're like that. You're, you're always hungry. Um, so there's this just immense hunger. Like we're not like that for the, the word, the, the bread of life. Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's so great to see these students just, just really wanting to learn about the word of life. And I took one last question. I said, okay, we, we got to go. And I asked this guy, uh, there's this guy who raised his hand and earlier. And so I came back to him and I said, hey, did you have a question? And he just says, 
can you come back? And I was like, oh man, like how much hunger there is just to learn about the things of the Spirit of God. And it was so refreshing for me. And if you're stagnant in your spiritual disciplines, it's not God. If you're stagnant, it's you. God is there. He says, he has an open invitation that he says in the scriptures. He says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. He's always near. We just keep on distancing ourselves from God. So if you're stagnant in your spiritual disciplines, that's a mark of just surviving. We'll talk about how to get out of that a little bit later. Um, Number three, you're struggling with recurring sins. You're struggling with a sin that's recurring. Look at what Paul says in, in verse three here. He says, for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So when I said that statement, the third one, that you're struggling with occurring sin, for some of you guys, something immediately popped in your head. Pride, anger, lusts, pornography, fear. The, the, the need to look better than others. The need to feel like you're needed. The need to... Uh, be the best at everything, selfish ambition, love of money. Something popped into your head there that is recurring sin, anger. A lot of you guys deal with anger. Anxiety can can be that. If you're just worrying too much about about things you can't control, about the future. And this this is a sin, and and I get it. Recurring sins for, a, for someone who's trying to grow as a disciple of Christ, it feels like once you fall to that sin again, it just takes, it's like a sucker punch, right? It takes all of the air out of you. You thought you'd made all this progress, and now here you are back at, back at ground zero again, and you've, you've succumbed to this sin again. And it's so difficult, right? Um, because... Uh, yeah, you just feel like you wasted, you wasted all this progress. And there's a difference, just a word of encouragement, there's a difference between a lifestyle of recurring sin and falling occasionally to this recurring sin, but trying to move forward in it. But if you're struggling with a recurring sin, then this is an indication that you're not thriving in your faith. That you're just barely surviving sometimes. And sins like these, whether it's anger or pride, lust, whatever it is, um, you know, your, your own selfish ambition, your, your needs for affirmation, approval, whatever you put in that blank is preventing you from thriving in your faith. And Paul is dealing with a sin here in the church that he actually deals with through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. He gets to it again in chapter 11. He's done it in chapter 1, chapter 3 here. And it's causing divisions in the church. It's, that's that's the, the, the result of it, the, the symptom. He says the root in you is jealousy. The root in you is envy. The root in you is the strife. And, and it's causing these divisions 
in the church and it's, it's pulling you guys apart. And your recurring sin does that. It causes division. It causes division between you and your spouse. It causes division between you and your friends. It causes division between you and this community. It causes division between you and God. And Jesus is saying, I've taken care of that division. Why do you keep on putting that division in, in, in front of us? And I get it. It's hard, right? It's hard when you're dealing with something that you, you feel like you feel like you just can't shake. But do you know how to stop a recurring sin from happening again? Two things. We don't have them up on the screen. Two things how to stop this from happening. Because it's, it's actually fairly simple. It's not, I don't know if it's easy, but it's simple. One, you have to learn to hate the sin more than you love the sin. You love that sin more than you hate it. That's why it's recurring in your life. And you have to learn to hate it more than you love it. Two, and, and here's the easy thing, ask God for that. All the recurring sins in my life, I said, God, help me to see this sin as you see it. Help me to, to hate it as much as you hate it because it, it creates separation and division between me and you and between me and others. How am I supposed to love others if, if I'm stuck in the muck here? So help me to hate it like, like you do because you never created this. You never wanted to be part of who we are. Let me see it as you see it. And so ask God for that. Uh, number two, learn to be satisfied in Jesus more than you are satisfied in your sin. Whatever your sin is, whatever pleasure it brings you, whatever endorphins it sets off, whatever it does to you to feel needed or uh, look at porn or uh, be angry or exert your authority over somebody else, whatever, whatever it does for you, it's always fleeting, ephemeral, temporal, and it never, ever, ever satisfies. It's only Jesus who does that. So learn to be satisfied fully in Jesus more than you are in your sin. And you're like, well, yeah, those weren't actually groundbreaking things, but actually they work. And ask, ask God for both of those things. Say, say, God, show me how to be satisfied in Jesus. I, I want this in my life. I desire this. And, and he'll give it to you. That's how to stop a recurring sin. Number four, this is the last mark of surviving. You're following the ways of the world. In verse 4 here, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? He doesn't say you're following Jesus here. He's saying you're following something that isn't Jesus. You're supposed to be spiritual people, but you're just like the rest of the world. You're merely human, he says. You're just being merely human. This one, I can probably go on and on about following the ways, the, the ways of the world. Um, let me start here. When, when Jesus calls his disciples, you can see this through the book of Matthew. When Jesus calls uh, Peter and Andrew at the beginning, 
they're fishing. And it says, immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. They left those things behind. They left everything behind and they followed Jesus. Next he calls James and John. It says, they left their boat. So they left like a pretty important material possession. They left their boat and they left their father. It's kind of funny he puts father in there. But they left their father and their boat, and they're like, see you, Dad. We're out of here. And they follow Jesus. Matthew, when he recounts his own story of, of uh, his calling, he's sitting at his tax-collecting booth. So he's got money everywhere. He's stealing from everybody. He's got everything he can want there. He has authority um, over all these people. And it says he rose up. I talked about that last week. He rose up and he left. He left all that money. He left all all that authority and all that power, and he said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Like I said earlier, a lot of us are still holding on to something. We say, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I want you to make me a lawyer first or a doctor first. Like, if I'm going to follow you, Jesus, then this is my dream for myself. Or I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but... I need you to bring me a spouse. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but I need a certain amount of money to, to do that. That's not following Jesus. That's not how we thrive as a disciple of Jesus. If we're following the ways of the world instead of following Jesus like they were, and you're just a, your focus is a little off, then you're just barely surviving in your faith. There's this amazing passage in Matthew chapter 19 where this rich guy comes up to Jesus and he says, I've obeyed all the commandments, Jesus. I've done all these things. Uh, what, what must I do to follow you? And, and Jesus says to him, go sell everything you have, all your possessions, all your money, give it all away to the poor, and then come follow me. And the guy can't do it. He, he walks away sad. And here comes Peter. Peter comes up and he says, Jesus, we left everything for you. We left everything. What, what do we get out of this? And Jesus doesn't uh, push him aside. He doesn't rebuke him even. He doesn't like, he, he actually affirms Peter. And he says, yeah, actually you did, Peter. You left Mothers, brothers, fathers, children, lands. So he puts family, material possessions. You left everything. He says, you're going to receive a hundredfold on that in this life and in, the, in the, and in the life to come. And a lot of times following Jesus, we think, oh, we're losing so much. But Jesus says, there's, there's way more to it than that. Like you're losing things that you never should have been valuing above me in the first place. You're, you're not really losing things. You're gaining what you were designed to have and to hold. All these temporal things you can let go of. As a disciple of Christ, how most of us follow the ways of the world, because you're thinking, oh, I'm okay with, with that stuff. But how most of us follow the ways of the world is we have to look like the world, so we have to have nice things. We have to have a nice house. We have to have a nice, uh, nice cars. We have to have nice clothes. We have to have all these things. 
um, in order to look like the rest, the rest of the world. Another way is uh, we have to watch these shows, we have to see these movies, we have to listen to this music, um, we have to read these books because this is, this is what the world does. And all you have to do to evaluate whether you're surviving or thriving in your faith is look at your entertainment choices and to look at what you value, look at where you put your money. And you'll see if you're actually following Jesus or if you're actually following the ways of this world. Just look at the movies you watch and the music you listen to. Just look at your entertainment choice and it'll tell you a lot about your worldview. So if, you're, if any of these are true for you, you're just surviving. Now let me show you, because Paul shows us how to thrive now. So the last five verses, we're gonna roll through a little quicker. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So the first mark of, of um, thriving is this. You're comfortable with being a servant. Are you comfortable with serving others? Jesus says, he came not to be served, but to serve. He says, the greatest among you is actually going to be a servant. He says, the first among you is actually going to be a slave. And, so, and I said this last week, if you're in Christ and, and you, are, you have the mind of Christ, you're a spiritual person, that doesn't make you better than the world. It actually, it actually makes you a servant to the world. And this word in the Greek literally means that Paul and Apollos, these great orators, these great leaders, they were actually table waiters. They were just there to serve Jesus to, to others. They were just there to be a channel of belief, not the source of it, just a channel. And they were there to wait on, on whoever it was, in this case the Corinthians, and say, whatever you guys need, all we want to do is show you Jesus. And that's who we are to the world. But we're so caught up in our own authority, our own position, our own pride, our own whatever, selfishness, that we're not comfortable with being a servant. But Paul says, if you're going to thrive in your faith, you have to be comfortable with being a servant, a servant of Christ. And in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So the second mark of thriving is you're growing in self-awareness. So Paul says here that he planted, Apollos watered, God gives the growth. So like I said at the beginning, discipleship can be boiled down to two things. Learning who God is, and in light of that, now learning who you are. A lot of you guys, maybe the majority of you guys, are in your 20s. <laughs> and <laughs> it's someone's like, no. <laughs> A lot of you guys are in your 20s, and uh, the, the time to figure out who you are is actually this decade of your life. So our culture says, you have everything figured out when you get out of school. You have everything figured out. You get your job. You're on the way to family even. You, you're secure in who you are, all those things. Most leadership texts, most leadership gurus will say that's not true. Um, in your 20s is where you figure out who you are. In your 20s is where you figure out your strengths, your weaknesses, your gifts, your abilities, your areas of improvement. 
where, if you're a Christian, your calling and where God wants to place you and use you and how he's doing that. In your 30s, you, you figure, you start to operate in those things, okay? Um, so you start to learn how to use those gifts and how to operate in that way. In your 40s is when you're, you're starting to get more of a, um, uh, you're starting to move in a smoother way. Um, and then, I can't remember 50s, but it's not to your 60s. Your 60s are actually your golden age. Your 60s, because that's when you're able to give back and mentor and and be a leader for leaders. So a lot of us, we're in our 20s and 30s, and uh, we're growing in, in self-awareness, and that's key to thriving in your faith. Just knowing who you are, and it's all based on knowing who God is. Paul says, I don't give the growth, God gives the growth. I don't worry about the results, he says. I don't worry about the success and the results. All I worry about is I'm supposed to plant. And so I'm going to throw seed, and I'm going to plant seed. Apollos, he waters. So he comes in, and he pours the water on it. He knows that's what he does. He doesn't have to feel like he has to do this. He's not going to give the growth. He's just right here in this little box because he knows who he is. Paul knows who he he is, and they know who God is. And they know that God is the one who produces the results. So if you're thriving in your faith, you're going to know your spiritual gifts. You're going to know how to use those not just in the church, but outside of the church, how to use those in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your families, um, with your friends, and you're gonna be thriving in using those. Number three is you're focused on unity. This is coming out of verse eight. He who plants, he who waters are one. And this is so, this is so key, because we, we get so focused on on what this person is doing, what this person is doing. But, but he's saying, no, we're one. We have one mission, and that's to see Christ Jesus glorified and exalted. So as a disciple of Jesus, there's three things. Every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Christ, is pointing to Jesus, is showing other people Jesus in order and, and this is, first, let's talk about non-believers. So every disciple of Christ should show non-believers Jesus by pointing them to Jesus in order to give them an opportunity to follow Jesus. The second thing is every, every believer in Jesus, every disciple of Christ, should point believers to Jesus in order to help them grow in their discipleship. The third thing is every believer or disciple of Christ should surround themselves with other believers to help themselves grow as a disciple of Christ. And that's, that's it. We're unified in that. All right, let's go to number four. You're able to recognize where God is working. He says, we are God's fellow workers. We, we see where God's working and we partner alongside it. Seth and I were in St. Jamestown last week and actually a couple weeks ago I was there. Our local engagement team Michelle, Andrew, and Becca, we've been trying to figure out what to do for Easter. And this is all, number four is all hear, trust, obey. Okay, this is how we define discipleship at Trinity Life Church, right? Learning to recognize the voice of God, hearing God's voice, trusting it, and obeying it. And, and so I got to our meeting a, a couple weeks ago early, and I was just sitting there praying. And we've been praying about what to do uh, with St. Jamestown over Easter. And... 
sitting there praying and saying, God, show us what we should do. And he reminded me that he is already working here, that he was working here way before we showed up, and that he's already worked here since we've been in St. Jamestown. He's already used the church. He's already, he's already um, built relationships with us and for us. And all we have to do is talk to those people that we have relationships with already. And it was just a simple prayer. In that moment, I just heard the Spirit say, just ask, just ask the community corner if they want to do something with you guys for Easter and ask them to use their space. So Seth and I, this week, we set up a meeting with, with Orit and uh, Seth asked them if we could use their space and she was like, of course. Like, yeah, I mean, it's so simple, right? So easy. Just hearing God's voice, trusting him and obeying him. Just walking with the Spirit, just recognizing where God is working. And Paul closes here and he says, you're God's field and you're God's building. Now, God's field is, is it's going to this agrarian kind of metaphor that Paul has been using of, of planting, of, of growing, of watering. Um, we're more familiar with God's building, right? I mean, just look out. Look at the windows there. We have huge buildings here. And Missy and I have traveled the world, and we've seen a lot of great structures. We've seen Stonehenge and the Eiffel Tower and the Colosseum. Uh, I've been to the Grand Palace in Bangkok, and we've seen Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio and Chichen Itza in Mexico. And uh, we have the CN Tower here. Uh, if you go to D.C., like I talked about earlier, there's a Capitol building, there's the White House. But one of the most striking buildings I've seen was in New York City when we went a couple years ago. And it's Freedom Tower. And if you've been to uh, the site of 9-11 and Ground Zero there, uh, then you know, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. We were there a couple of years ago, and it's this kind of eerie feeling because it's a i mean it's thousands of people died there in that spot but at the same time you see freedom tower it's not the most beautiful it's not the most historic it's not like these other structures i mentioned uh, in that sense but it's the tallest building in the western hemisphere and when you look up at it you can barely see the top it's like almost in the clouds and when you look up at it, there's this tremendous sense of resilience. You get this feeling of, wow, like some acts of evil tore two buildings down, thousands of people died. They cleared it all out, built a memorial and this tower to say, that's not gonna stop us. And that's not going to, that's not, basically it's like, go ahead, try it again. Like that's, that's what it feels like when you're there. It's just this, this picture of resilience and perseverance. We are God's building. And you know what we're built on? We're built on the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone he is the foundation of this building that God 
has been building for the centuries, for all time. And we're a part of that. And he's intimately building us. And we're not supposed to show the world that we're just surviving. We're supposed to show the world that we are God's building and we are thriving. And I'm just tired of the church, of us as disciples of Jesus, doing things in a merely human way, of being consumed with the ways of the world, of being stagnant in our spiritual disciplines, of all those other marks, and forgetting that we are God's building to the world. We're his field. We're to show the world resilience and perseverance and we're to point to God's glory. And there's such an amazing truth to know that we're each a single piece of that. And we get to point people to Jesus. And so as a disciple of Christ, all you can do is love others and point them to Jesus in, in, a, lot, in a lot of times. Love others, point them to Jesus. And stop just trying to survive in your faith and seek what it means to thrive in your faith. Let's pray. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.